Love is love. Is it all about love in relationships? Is love that only thing that matters? It doesn't matter who you date or who you marry as long as there's love. That statement was true. That statement was seemed to be true, but it wasn't. What happened was a pastor was preaching to his rural congregation, and he preached about the Bible's biblical sexuality and how this statement isn't true. And then he got a lovely handwritten letter after, and it was like this. It's all about love, you judgmental fill-in-the-blank. This particular pastor is described as a kind-hearted old softy, and his teaching was delivered with the utmost care and gentleness. And yet, because he taught that God defines marriage as a lifelong commitment between one man and one woman, it unleashed a firestorm of controversy in his little community. Just reading this little sentence on the handwritten note provokes all kinds of questions. If someone believes it's all about love, then why would they cuss out a local pastor? Is it really all about love, or shouldn't the writer have shown him some love as well? Or are we defining love differently in our society than ever before? New York Times bestselling author Glennon Doyle recalls a similar letter she received from a woman she knew at her former church. Now, Glennon Doyle, in her book, which she sold 2 million copies in the New York Times, and it was a New York Times bestseller. The book is called Untamed. Doyle was formerly a Christian mommy blogger turned bestselling author. Doyle is now married to a former uh, women's national team soccer player, and she left her husband for him. She fell in love at first sight. Abby Wambach, that is, sorry, I was remembering. Abby Wambach is her wife. The woman who wrote the letter was confused because on the one hand, she wanted to love Doyle and affirm her decision to leave her husband and marry another woman. But on the other hand, her Christian convictions prevented her from celebrating a relationship that the Bible describes as sinful. The woman wrote, I quote, I want to be able to love you unconditionally, but I have to abandon my beliefs. What am I supposed to do with this? So Doyle agreed that her friend would not be able to demonstrate real love to her if she didn't affirm her relationship and thanked her for her intellectual honesty. And in her response is a good example of how our culture, how our society de defines love. This is what Doyle writes in her response. First of all, thank you for knowing that you have a choice to make. Thank you for not landing on I love you, but we know that love has no buts. If you want to change me, according to Doyle, you do not love me. If you feel warm towards me, but also believe I'm going to burn in hell, you do not love me. If you wish for me to vote against my family being protected by the law, you do not love me. She ends, thank you for your understanding that to love me as yourself means to want for me and for my family Every good thing that you want for yourself and your family, anything less than that is less than love. Whew. What a letter that is written. This letter by, written by Glennon Doyle 
it, it puts it on the person that you can't really be loving if you don't. And the key word we'll talk about a little bit is if you don't affirm who I am. That's a big thing with this culture, uh, affirmation, agreeing, and not just agreeing, but championing or celebrating the lifestyle that you want to live. Just like Glennon Doyle's um, letter, I'm going to show you a video about this concept of love is love. But before I show it to you, I did text some of the parents to say that this video, this should, you should watch this with a sober heart because this video will show you how our society is, and I'm going to say it, targeting little kids and how they use, I would say, some very good media and graphics in a catchy tune to get teens or sorry, get young kids to believe the lie that love is love. But then also how you'll see in this video how they mix some things that are true with a lot of lies. Let's go ahead and watch the short clip. As a dad of three kids, young kids, this stuff is very impressionable. So it's sobering. Um, let me just go ahead and pray. I'm sorry. It just, it's just hard to see that this is what is being pushed into the lives of our kids each and every day. And we as parents have to fight. Let me go ahead and pray. Father, we do live in a sin-cursed world. We live in a world that is broken, broken by just decay and destruction. And Lord, we're just asking you that you would help us as a church, uh, help us as pastor to equip our people to know how to live godly lives. Help us, Lord, not just to resist evil, but to be lights that demonstrate your love and your care. You created us. You know what's best for us, Lord. So I pray that you would help us, Lord, to live according to your word, to your will, to your standards, to your statutes. And I pray that you would be with us as parents, as grandparents, as aunts and uncles, as leaders and mentors, Sunday school teachers, whatever it may be, that we may beautifully demonstrate how you've made us, male and female. We can, uh, Lord, just be example to our kids, Lord, and that we um, at Faith Baptist Church and Faith Christian School can just teach the truth and live the truth. In your name, amen. We are all hardwired to love because love originates in God. The Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have a loving relationship with one another and God created Adam and Eve to spread this love throughout the world. We are hardwired for love, but love is taking a different place in our society. Back in 2017, the 44th president tweeted out the following, retweet if you believe everyone should be able to marry the person they love. Hashtag love is love. And not too long after this, the White House was lit up in rainbow colors. The destruction and dysfunction of our society is on full display because people buy into the lie that love is love. So here's the deal. You love so whoever you want. So if you are married and have kids, but if you love another woman and you're a woman, you leave your family because you have to be true to yourself and you go chase after another woman because love is love. In our society... If you have girls, um, young age, they can get in chat with men 50 plus years old who are preying upon them. But that is okay because love is love. 
You have morally bankrupt men who are preying upon the smallest of children. In fact, just this past week, a man was arrested in Hamilton for having sex with a 14-year-old girl that was sleeping in his car outside of his house. This is that, but love is love. Some of you might say this is extreme, what I'm saying, but I say this to you because if this concept of love is love is accepted, it changes everything. A person who doesn't believe in God and thus doesn't believe in absolute truth doesn't have any moral basis to object to any of these types of relationships. Without God, one cannot determine what an objective truth is. You can't determine without God what is right and wrong, good and bad. When we, what we are talking specifically today is how this concept of love is love is shown in relationship and specifically in romantic relationships. And again, go back to this word affirm. Affirm means to validate. To confirm, it means you put your stamp of approval. You not only acknowledge what someone else is doing, but you champion it. And here's the problem for us as Bible-believing Christians. The creature doesn't tell the creator what is right and wrong. The pot doesn't tell the potter what to do. The building doesn't tell the builder the layout of life. Only God does. Our society has tried to redefine who is in control, and we are mere mortals. God is God. He is above us, and we are below him. He determines what is best for our life, and we can only delight in him if we find our obedience in him. We can't find ultimate happiness outside of him. So you need to hear today that the heart of God, here's the thing I want you to hear, because I know some of us have family members and others that have bought into this lie that love is love. The heart of God is for his people. The heart of God is that of a loving father that wants what's best for them, that wants what's best for them. He is a good daddy that doesn't want to harm his children. So what he says to us in his word is for our good. And so we need to direct our hearts and live our lives as best as it is according to the scriptures. So what is wrong with this concept, this notion of love is love? Let me show you in three different relationships where this love is love mentality has played out. The first one is in dating or marriage of believer to non-believer. Second Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what, here's a key, partnership has righteousness with lawlessness. What fellowship has light with darkness. You see, this is an agricultural term, and what it is is basically oxen are yoked together, and they have to be yoked together and pulling the same. You can't have one pulling in front of the other. And this is what happens when a Christian is with a non-Christian. The Bible tells us not to team up. Don't be mismatched. You're not on the same page. Do not be partners at all. But people... For whatever reason, maybe it's because you've been single too long and you just want to get into the relationship, you date or you marry a non-believer. And not even that, sometimes it's someone who claims to be a Christian but isn't living according to God's word, isn't fully submitted to them. And what you have happen, I'm not going to say their name, is from uh, my previous church and counseling room, is with a mom who's married to a non-believing spouse who's crying because her kids don't want to live for God at all. 
She's literally dragging her kids to church, and they say to her, Mom, why do I have to do that? Dad doesn't go. I shouldn't have to go. It doesn't make any sense. Dad does this. He doesn't have to wake up on Sundays. I just want to hang out with Dad. And this woman is just weeping for the soul of her children. But you have this conflict that is at the home. You see, love is love does not work out when we live not according to his word. Being unequally yoked is wrong. Love is love also plays out in the LGBT relationships. While it's argued that they're compatible, the Bible is firm in stating that it is a sin. Just this past week, Eastern University, that's in St. David, Pennsylvania, just passed a rule at their school that they're now not just going to accommodate, but they're going to say any type of committed relationship, whether it's a man with woman or woman with uh, woman, man with man, they're all accepted at Eastern University, which is a Christian college. Why do they say that? Because if it's committed relationship, then that means it's okay. You see, and again, the thing is, what may happen is people may think that I am a bigot because I am saying this, but I'm just doing what God's word says and he knows what's best for us. I don't have any animosity towards those that are LGBT, none at all. But you have to understand there are consequences for this relationship. What's sad is Pew Research says that over 50% of evangelicals under 50 approve of LGBT relationships. You see, what happens, and I've seen it even in our youth group, is young people, they may believe it, but they're afraid to defend it because the culture is like vipers coming at them and saying, you must affirm this or else or you will be silenced. But one thing that I tell the teens is you need to understand that Jesus said that our faith is going to be a battle. Jesus didn't say that it's going to be easy. He, in fact, said that we should take up our cross, literally the crucifixion device, die to ourselves and follow him. The word tells us, in fact, that we should put God before family, God before spouse, God before our job, God before our friendships, God before everything. So when we read the sexual ethic of the Bible, we must realize that God says hard truths, but it's for our ultimate good. So the LGBT relationship is not compatible. Let me read some verses to you. Uh, Leviticus 18.22, you should not lie with a male as with a woman, it is an abomination. He's saying it's a scandal, atrocity, horror. Or Romans 1, 26 through 27, for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men, receiving in themselves a due penalty for their error. And what happens sometimes is people will say, well, the culture has changed and now there are committed relationships now. No, back in Paul's day when he was writing that, homosexuality was still there in the culture and he was speaking against that as well because it was not what God intended. God created the world. He created you. He created your life. He's your designer. And he says to you, this is how you should live. What happens, and this may be a controversial part of the sermon, is people don't understand the consequences of these type of relationships. We've tried to kind of brush it under the rug, but it needs to be said. 
Living in same-sex relationships and lifestyles impacts mental health-wise in terms of life expectancy and in terms of diseases. The homosexual lifestyle has been associated with a 50% more likelihood of suffering from depression and substance abuse, according to BMC Psychiatry and uh, UK Health 24. It's also a 200% more likelihood of committing suicide. A lot of people would say to me, 200% would likely to commit suicide? Is that just because society is not accepting of it? That's just because Christians or those Christian nationals are just evil and mean? No, in fact, these studies were taken from Europe. And European nations, they don't have much religious practice at all. And homosexuality in some countries has been legalized for a while. For example, in Sweden in the year 1944, same-sex marriage was legalized. In the United States, it was 2015. They made speaking against sexual orientation a crime as hate speech in 2003 in Sweden. And it's recognized by the International Lesbian Gay Association to be the most gay-friendly country in Europe or the world. And there, it's not a 200% risk of suicide. It's a 300% risk of suicide. There's consequences for these. And again, it's sobering. But it's not just believer with non-believer. It's not just the LGBT relationships. Love is love is, as it's portrayed in our society also with the pornography use in our country. You see, what happens now, just so you know, the NFL right now is getting into the virtual reality business. There's virtual reality video games. So you have video games that are number one on the list that are making about $1.2, $1.3 billion a year. The NFL is coming right under that, and right below that is the pornography industry that is there. You see, love is love is, in this mentality, is I must please myself. Committed relationships are a burden and a challenge. But Matthew 5, 27 says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. According to Covenant Eyes, a pornography blocking software, 90% of teens and 96% of young adults are either encouraging, accepting, or neutral when they talk about porn use with their friends. Just 55% of adults 25 and older believe porn is wrong. And teens and young adults 13 and 24 believe not recycling is worse than viewing pornography. Worse than viewing pornography. You see, again, I'm not going to say their name. This is a person I counseled a while ago. He was in the fits of depression, and I'm counseling with him because he knew what he was doing was wrong, but he couldn't get out of it. He was consumed by it. It controlled him. It controlled his time. It took his money. It was that addictive. But again, to our society, love is love. Do whatever makes you feel good. Be true to yourself. No, and the consequences for that, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? This has to be stated clearly. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality will enter the kingdom of God. We have to recognize that there's consequences when we don't live according to God's sexual ethic. 
A researcher put out from Oklahoma University, and what I found in NPR News, said they found that married Americans who began pornography uh, before they were married were roughly twice as likely to end in divorce. Porn is a social toxin that destroys relationships, steals innocence, erodes compassion, it breeds violence, and it kills love. Why is the Super Bowl notorious for a big sex trafficking thing? Because you have men that have been watching pornography since they were teenagers, and sometimes, sadly, now they're saying average age is about nine when they're exposed, that they can't get over it when they get older. What do we do with this all? This is a very sobering topic. I'm, sometimes I wonder, why did Pastor Walker give me this topic to do? But what do we do with this? This concept of love is love. We need to recognize that there is an antidote to this. We need to recognize that our culture pushes in front of us love relationships. I'll make fun of my wife a little bit, but Hallmark is always has this happy ending of this love relationship. It's always this woman meets this man and there's just some kind of conflict, but always in the end, they get back together. The music pushes it, the movies push it, and sometimes I would say it starts for young guys and girls, the Disney effect. This mindset that we have to have romantic love comes from this Disney effect. Let me just point out a couple of Disney movies. Aurora and Philip's spell is broken by true love's kiss and Sleeping Beauty. Okay? Cinderella and Prince Charming, true love's kiss. Tiana and Prince Navi, true love's kiss. Ariel and Prince Eric, true love's kiss. We are teaching, and I, that's why I do try to minimize a little bit my daughter watching all the Disney princesses. Um, we're teaching young girls at a young age and young boys at a young age that this is what romantic love is about. All this mushy, gushy stuff, not necessarily commitment, but once you kiss and embrace, oh, it's just butterflies and everything is amazing. You see, you don't realize it, but this is the mindset in this concept. So then you don't wonder when we get older, love is love. Love becomes a god. It becomes an idol. It becomes something that I have to have at all costs. C.S. Lewis puts it like this. If affection is made the ultimate sovereign of a human life, the seeds will germinate. Love, having become a god, becomes a demon. We are tempted to substitute God's design for us with something else. Whether it would be a believer or the non-believer, uh, LGBT relationship or pornography use, it's this romance in these things of pleasing and gratifying ourselves. The problem with love is love is that we are at the center of it. We were never to, supposed to be at the center of love. God is. God is. 1 John 4, 9, in this the love of God was made manifest among us. How was it made manifest? How was it shown to us? That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. You see, that is love. Love is demonstrated by a sacrificial God the Son, coming and paying the price for our sins. And not only that, you think of just the timeline as you go through the book, uh, the Old Testament, of how we 
were like idolaters there. We kept on choosing other lovers, choosing other things, and yet God kept loving us back. You see, the only type of the only type of relationship that is supposed to be loving relationship, romantic, as we're talking about today, is between a man and a woman. But it's not just that, it's what it points towards to. Jesus writes about this when the Pharisees try to challenge him. He says, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answers, Jesus, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother, hold fast his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. God has made the marriage relationship that the only relationship for romantic type of love, but it points to something. Let me read from you Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Wives, submit to your husbands, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit and everything to their husbands. Wives are not to submit to their husbands because they are worse at leading, but because it points to the church's submission to Christ. You see, our, the marriage relationship is supposed to be an image to our society as believers of Christ's love for the church. The submission and the sacrifice. Because what does he say to men? Wives are to submit, but he says to men, verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and he gave himself for her. Gave himself for her. Husbands are not supposed to give themselves up to their wives because they're less valuable, but because Jesus gave himself up for us. Husbands are told to love their wives as their own bodies because the church is Jesus' body on earth. We need to understand that this marriage, male and female, husbands or wives are called to different roles like Christ and the churches. But it's love across differences. That is what this flesh-uniting, life-creating, never-ending commitment is supposed to demonstrate. So then what do we do with people who don't agree with our views of what the Bible teaches us? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, we should speak the truth in love. Speak the gospel truth, but in love and humility and tenderness and in firmness. So I'm going to do a rebuttal of what Glennon Doyle wrote in her book. Here's what she says again in her letter. First of all, thank you for knowing that you have a choice to make. I would agree with her. We do have a choice to make. When Glennon Doyle came out, left her husband, and went and married a woman, she writes again, thank you for not landing on I love you, but we know that love has no buts. If you want to change me, you do not love me. My response to her is, oh, God does want to change us. God definitely wants to change us. He doesn't want to leave us like this. He doesn't want to leave us in our sins, in our brokenness, in our shame. He's taken that on the cross. So my response to her is, he does want to change us. But do you know it's for our good and his glory? What else would I say to her? If you feel warm towards me, but also believe I'm going to burn in hell, you do not love me. If I understood hell and the destruction, 
and the torment and the chaos that is going to be for those that don't trust Christ as their Lord and Savior, how unloving would it be for me to not say anything? How unloving. How unloving would it be for me if I were to see Caleb, for example, there's a car coming down the road. He's in the road, but hey, I don't want to be unloving because if I yell at him, he'll be afraid of me because Pastor Artie's yelling at him. So I'm not going to say anything? What kind of foolishness is that? If we love people, we're going to tell them what they need. And if we are believers as Christians, if we've been exposed to the gospel message, the most loving thing we can tell them is that they are going to spend eternity in hell, but for God, they don't have to. They turn to him. They submit to him. They repent of their sins and cry out to him, save me. They can be in eternity in heaven. That's what I would say. If you wish me well, she writes, but vote against my family being protected by the law, you do not love me. Now, I don't want to be political here, but we should desire that our policies in our society promote human flourishing, okay? We should desire that our representatives act justly, making life prosperous for all. We want human flourishing, so our vote should point towards this. So I would respond to her, I want people to flourish in the society. So my vote is going to point towards that way. What else would I say? She says, thank you for understanding that to love me as yourself means to want for me and for my family every good thing that you want for yourself. I would say, you're right. I want to love you and I want you to have everything that I have in my family. So I want you to do it God's way. I want you to do it according to his word. But I can't love you the way that you have defined your love because your love can change from day to day. I'm affirming and not affirming. I want to tell you today that God defines love because God is love. God determines what's right and wrong. He is the standard. He knows what is best. And you know, some of the times when we speak the truth in love, it is going to be confronting. I'm going to have, in a little bit, I'm going to have... Joan come and uh, we're going to do a little bit of an interview just to hear from her how she puts this into the practice, talking to people about love and love. But before I speak to you, you need to be reminded that Jesus, all throughout the New Testament, is confronting people but speaking the truth in love. I mean, Jesus meets a woman at the well. He purposes that he's going to be there at the middle of the day when he knows no other woman would be there. But he's there, and he tells this woman to give him a drink, and everyone knows men don't ask women for drinks, not to be touched, not to be unclean. But Jesus knew all this. And he comes to her, and he could have just said, hey, you just need to trust me as your savior. That's it. No. He pokes holes at her. He, he goes into and asking her uh, in their discussion, like, who are you with? Whose husband are you with? speaks the truth. It's, it's hard, but it's in love because he wants what's best for her. The rich young ruler, Jesus spoke the truth in love there. He told him, go sell all you have, give to the poor and come follow me. The rich young ruler didn't like it and left. He spoke the truth in love. He spoke the truth in love. And we as believers in this day and age must speak the truth in love. Let me go ahead and at this time I have Joan come up and I'm going to interview her.
Thank you so much, Joan, for uh, being willing to do this interview with me today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no problem. Uh, my first question is, how have you seen Love is Love play out in your own personal life? So I used to live by the definition of love is love in our world today. Um, senior year of high school, I dated a girl for five years. I was going to a Catholic church at that time, and every Sunday I would go to Mass at night, and I would be praying to God that if I was doing something wrong, that he would show me. But if I'm being completely honest, I believed that love was love, and I thought that I was going to spend my life with her. Um, it wasn't until my senior year of college that we ended up breaking up. And a couple years later, I was at work, and I had a Christian supervisor who was witnessing to me in the office, and she asked me to do a Bible study. And before I agreed to do a Bible study, I said, as long as we don't talk about gay marriage or abortion. So we continued to do the Bible study, and praise be to God that I got saved. And he gave me a new heart, and he put a new spirit within me. But I was still sinful, and as Pastor preached on today, uh, 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, Do not be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. And right after I got saved, I was unequally yoked with an unbeliever. And it was my Christian supervisor who pointed it out. And God, again, he puts his word in my heart, and he changed me. Amen. How do you interact with people at your workplace who live by the mantra, love is love? So I interact with people at the workplace by showing them a biblical love as they, we are all image bearers of God. Um, going back to work on a Monday or after a trip is the best time for open conversations because what, what do we do on Sundays? We go to church. Um, Alan and I recently took a trip to Noah's Ark in Kentucky. Best time for conversation. So a couple of examples is I get a lot of questions at work. Um, I have a coworker who asks about all my beliefs on abortion, and it gives me um, the opportunity to share the gospel and tell her what the word says. And she often walks away and says, I don't believe that, but I admire your faith because you stand for what you believe in. I have another coworker I also got to share the gospel with, and she said, isn't it hard to live with those beliefs in a world like today? And I was able to share the gospel with her as well, but also speak of, I believe it's Matthew 5, that says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, for they will inherit the kingdom of God. And then the last coworker that I'll speak about is, I have a coworker in my office who is in a same-sex relationship, who is often around when I'm having these conversations with my other coworkers. And she came over asking about Noah's Ark, um, and it gave me an opportunity to share my testimony with her. I ended up actually purchasing a Bible and giving her a Bible. Um, and we continue to have conversations, and I think one of the most encouraging conversations that we had after sharing the gospel and speaking to her about what I believe in is she said, you love even though you don't accept my lifestyle or their lifestyle. Amen. Amen. Seeing what you're seeing happen in our culture and society and knowing what is being taught to our kids, 
What concerns do you have? So my concerns are that our kids are growing up with an unbiblical worldview in our school systems, in what children watch on TV. As you noted, what kids are watching, um, Pastor Steve played Let It Go last week in his sermon, um, what they're hearing, the music. And it's also concerning that some music that people would call Christian is unbiblical. So there's a song, Reckless Love, God's Not Reckless. Um, so my concern is what they're hearing and what they're listening to and what they're seeing and what they're being taught. Um, and you noted in your sermon, for the world, their version of love is God. They have redefined who God is based on what they want love to be. Um, for us as Christians, God is love. He is the standard of love and his word define love. Amen. What are some practical steps that parents can take to keep their children from believing these lies? So the most practical steps that I would say is what the Bible says. So Deuteronomy 6 is when Moses gives the Israelites the commandments. And Deuteronomy 6, 7 says, you sh- I'm going to prayer- paraphrase, but you shall teach these commandments, commandments to your children. You shall walk by them, you shall live by them, you shall every morning and every night. So um, my advice for parents is to teach your kids the word, um, to pray for your kids. To, your kids should see you praying, getting on your knees and calling out to God, not only asking God for forgiveness for yourself, praying for your children and your children's salvation, praying that our children are growing in the word, um, Advice would be coming home from Kentucky. We listened to a great sermon on having daily family devotional time um, and also walking out the Christian life in your daily living. Your children know if you are faking it. For those parents who see their children starting to believe that love is love but struggle or they struggle to accept God's view of love, what should they be doing? So a small part of my testimony, and I'll be brief, is after I got saved, the girl that I was dating ended up passing away of an overdose, and it gave me an opportunity to go sit down with her mom. And her mom said to me, you don't believe in the relationship you and the girl were in in the past. And it gave me an opportunity to share the gospel with her. She also said to me, um, a lot of people are coming over here and they're telling me that my daughter is in a better place. How do I know that? How do they know that? And I said, I'm not going to tell you that your daughter is in a better place, but I will tell you what his word says. And Romans 3.23 says, we are all sinners and fall short of the glory of God. But God, in John 3.16, says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. For whoever shall believe in him will inherit eternal life. So I was able to preach the gospel to the girl's mom. And that's what I say for parents who have kids who are struggling. We are to be preaching the gospel to our kids. We are to be living out the gospel in front of our kids. Um, We need to understand that our kids are not ours. Our kids belong to the Lord. We are to steward our kids up to the 
they are the Lord's. We're to teach them to know the Lord. Um, so knowing that just because our kids grow up in a Christian home or have been to church um, or have heard the gospel, we are continually praying and living out the gospel and walking the gospel and teaching them the gospel. Amen. Yeah. Thank you very much, John. You're welcome. Let's go ahead and pray, and then we're going to sing one more song. Father, I come to you today with a heavy heart and a difficult topic we're talking about today, Lord, but I just thank you that your word is clear. I pray that you would be with us as a church family, Lord, that we would seek to demonstrate your love, your sacrificial love, Lord, to one another, that we would care for one another and point people to you. I pray that, again, that you be with our parents, Lord, that they would seek to uh, know you more and more each day and recognize that their children are not theirs, but they're yours. So we should desire to present them to you, Lord, as a worthy sacrifice. We love you and thank you for this day in your name. Amen.